I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Forever. I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man What's up, 3Bs? What's up, Diamond Dogs? about that song, huh? I haven't talked about it in a moment. Great song by Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. Grammy-winning album. It's a good one. And uh, definitely one that we need on mornings like this one. Recording this a little bit late. Thank you for your patience. Um, just still trying to figure out this schedule and getting the podcast recorded. So I appreciate you hanging in there with me. And to speak to that, we're all hanging in there right now. Just a lot of... It's hard to say that there's anything good happening right now. But I know that we all have some good things happening in our lives. And that's not to say that we should not feel de- sadness, depression those things. We should definitely feel those things because that's what fuels our lives because experience is experience. However, try if you can to gain energy, steam, focus from the positive things in your life and do not let them take that away from you. But do try to put it back into the world. Um, I went to a protest last week. It was organized uh, by friend and activist Blair Amani, who is also a co-host on a new Crooked podcast, which I haven't had the chance to check out yet, but um, you should check it out because they're a great person. Uh, But they got a protest together. I asked my boss if we could go on our lunch break. He said that was okay. Some of us stayed, some of us went. um, And we stood outside of the Federal Immigration Center in Los Angeles, and we were there for a little over an hour, about two hours maybe. Uh, Many people drove by and honked. I would say 95% of the people who drove by and honked were people of color. Uh, One of the white people who drove by and honked, in agreement, of course, um, was driving a Tesla. (laughs) And I was standing next to uh, another white woman who uh, we were both like, woo. And then I was like, trade in your Tesla. And she was like, tell me about it. Um, So try, if you can, to go to these things to meet people um, to realize that there are other people that agree with you, to realize there are people that disagree with you. Um, I posted about it and a good amount of people showed up. Um, I wasn't planning on saying anything, 
or doing anything other than being there. And then I decided to do uh, both of those things, which is say something and be there. Um, and someone asked me on Instagram if I could write about my experience. Uh, my job right now is writing, so my brain is uh, fully into writing the thing that I'm writing in my job. And so I'm not great at writing for fun right now. And to be totally honest, I'm not good at writing for fun ever. I'm not much of a writer. I'm more of a thinker. <laughs> I'm sure some people can agree with that statement. And I think sometimes it's hard to be that because people want you to express yourself in a way that they can experience on their own time, which makes a lot of sense. And that's what writing does. But uh, I'm bad at that. <laughs> so um, anyway... It was a good experience. Uh, there were people waiting in line to go into the immigration office. I hope that they saw that there are people who support them. A gentleman who was protesting just on his own in a clown suit with a, a, a large picket um, came and, and stopped and led us in some chants and uh, was very moved by the fact that there were people there. He talked about the fact that he came here with nothing alone himself uh, and searched for a better life because that's what America is all about. And uh, he was very sad that that is uh, changing. And so uh, I was grateful that he stopped by and shared his experience because um, there's a lot of people out there. And uh, I think we have to keep our eyes open. Something that I said to everyone that was there is to take the experience of the protest into your everyday life and to carry it around in your spirit with you everywhere that you go and to practice kindness in your everyday interactions and a conversation that we're having, you know, on television and on the internet. I'm not sure that these are the conversations that we're having in coffee shops and <laughs> diners and things like that, but <clears throat> a conversation, uh, on these channels, which I might remind you are not the news. They are the commentary on the news. However, it, uh, took up a lot of screen time whether that's a television or a phone, whether we need to meet these things with civility or kindness. So I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying with meeting these things with kindness. I don't believe that government officials are beyond reproach and they can't be spoken to. This is why they don't hold town halls, because they don't want to be held accountable. So when you remove every opportunity for discourse with your constituents, there must be other ways of taking that back. So what I mean when I say practicing uh, what I like to think of as radical kindness in your everyday, what I mean is to practice that with strangers in your life, people you don't know, as much as you possibly can, because it's a, as much for them as it is for you to, I don't know, the person you're buying coffee from, the person you're buying a hot dog from, the person you're getting a lift ride from, all of those things practicing kindness and putting it into the world. Um, I do not mean Sarah Huckabee Sanders by any, by any stretch of the imagination. That is not a person that I believe needs to be treated with kindness. Um, and I'm not advocating for anything other than, you know, protest. So anyway, that's what I learned um, at that protest. Also that I need a megaphone. So <laughs> I'm going to be probably purchasing that for the next time that I'm able to go to a protest. Um, so anyway, this is a baseball podcast and like every week I start off with some stuff that's not baseball and then I get into baseball. So what I'd like to do today is do a little roundup and then get into, um, an issue 
later, and then I'll get into some rosin bag questions. So I hope that's all right with everybody. So number one from bench coach Brett, what's up with the Cubs? Last week they took two out of three from the Dodgers, then they got swept by Cincinnati. How legitimate of a contender are they this year? Of course, injuries play a role. Bryant has missed time. He's missing time currently. We'll be back in the lineup against the Dodgers. That's already incorrect. These are great notes, Brett. Darvish starts a rehab stint in the minors this week. But in the bigger picture, it feels like one of the narratives from the World Series year, which is 2016, my least favorite year and also most favorite year. Theo Epstein is building genius has faded. So what's my assessment of this team that was supposed to be a dynasty in the making? Do they have a shot this year if everyone is healthy? I don't think they do, even if everyone is healthy. And that's not because I, you know, dislike this team or anything. Um, the pieces are all there, but they don't have, you know, it's interesting because I could, I watched the game, the Dodgers Cubs game on Monday and that was a heck of a game. It was a perfect example of a baseball game, low score, small ball, despite many of the runs being scored by long ball, which is not small ball, but everything else played very, you know, just tight, consistent. Um, and so I would compare the Cubs to the Dodgers in this way. They are both teams are missing the magic that they each had in their respective World Series trip years. Uh, one of them was able to close it out, and the other one was not. <laughs> so there was something about the Dodgers last year that was magical, and this is something that when they were in Cleveland to play Cleveland, uh, Oral Hershiser spoke to. He said something to the effect of these. This is one of the nights that makes you think you got something magical going on. And he was right. There was something going on with that Dodgers lineup last year. Everybody was bringing something different. And they're pulling it together. They're winning games. Um, they're not blowing it up in the late innings. But they still don't have that magic where it seems like something outside of all of them is working. And I feel the same way about the Cubs. Like, Javi Baez is having a career year this year. He's just red hot and actually hitting the ball for the first time. And then, of course, his his defense is sparkling, you know. So for all intents, he's having a uh, he's having a Mike Trout of a year for him. And then for the Cubs, you know, I think their rotation is something that's going to hold them back. Um, and then their bullpen is holding them back right now which is, you know, a story across baseball. That's always the issue, right? Who's the the arms? It's not always the bats, it's the arms. So, I did I I thought they were going to be a dynasty. I thought they were going to go back to back, but they didn't. That's not to say they aren't a contender for the postseason, but I'm unsure the Brewers are charging right now. They've got a great rotation, they've got a great bullpen, they've got bats. So that's their biggest competition in this in, you know, the NL Central. So I'm unsure. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't mean to be... They could have a great second half. The second half is the whole story. A lot of teams fall off after the second half. Last year, Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez literally did not hit <laughs> until August. And so you got to see how it goes. I'm curious how uh, Chris Bryant returns from the DL and what that looks like for them. Uh, moving on to vintage Zach Greinke. Greinke has been struggling to crack 90 miles per hour on his fastball all year. So instead, in Saturday's win over the Pirates, he utilized an intentionally slow curveball, throwing several curves under 70 miles per hour. These slow curves accounted for four of his seven Ks. He gave up zero earned runs. Speaking of this, what are my favorite signature pitches, either from current pitch pitchers or all time? I mean, right now... 
this is a good this is a good point because uh I've been meaning to mention the mistakes I've made in fantasy baseball. I think my one of my favorite pitches current pitchers or of all time signature pitches and this person I I don't like them as a person but Trevor Bauer's uh you know slurve is uh pretty gnarly. And he is somebody that I was like he's going to have a good year this year and I drafted him and I picked up Mike Clevenger and I had Sean Newcomb. These are all three pitchers that I got rid of. <laughs> I traded Trevor Bauer to somebody because I was like, I, I don't know why. It was a stupid move, and I've regretted it ever since. I have, however, been able to pick up pitchers that are scoring more than 20 points. So I'm back in, I'm back in, baby. I had two bad weeks, and then hopefully this is going to be a good week. But so far, it is. Um, and then, of course, Corey Kluber. Basically, every pitch that he throws. It is interesting to think about a pitcher going slower these days because we're so concerned about velocity. But if you throw the ball slower, when they hit the ball, it goes slower. So that's something to think about that we don't really, you know, everybody's about velocity and, you know, exit velocity. Well, if you throw them a 30 mile an hour ball, you can't really hit it 90 miles an hour. So that's something to think about. Moving on to the Dodgers tying the home run record. In Sunday's win against the Mets, the Dodgers hit seven solo home runs, tying the record for most solo home runs in a regular season game. Uh, Kike Hernandez hit two. Max Muncy hit one. Bellinger hit two solo shots. Peterson and Turner each with one. That is a lot of home runs. They've also hit, I think, 50 home runs in the month of June, which is a lot of home runs. I do wish they would put the ball in play more often. <laughs> Quit it. A couple months ago, they were trying to hit home runs and they were striking out, and now they're actually hitting home runs. So don't get addicted. Do not, my friends, get addicted to the long ball. <laughs> Speaking of the long ball, JD Martinez is killing it this year. He's hitting 324, 393, 644. That's batting average slugging on base percentage. Is tied with Mike Trout for the MLB lead with 23 home runs. Took over the MLB lead with 60 RBIs and ranks third in the majors in slugging percentage and OPS, trailing only Mike Trout and teammate Mookie Betts in both categories. This shouldn't be surprising. He put up similar numbers last year, too. And yet, teams weren't in a rush to sign him in the offseason, and according to Martinez, the Red Sox were the only team that made a serious offer. One explanation here is that Martinez was entering his age 30 season. Too risky for a long-term nine-figure contract, suggested some critics pointing to some of the free agent busts in recent years who signed deals that took them into their mid-30s. The market also hasn't been kind to corner outfielders and first base DH types in recent years, and some teams might have felt Martinez was limited to a DH role. If not now, then certainly within a couple of years, and that was from ESPN. Is that thinking flawed? Obviously, obviously, it seems so in Martinez's case. I think that it is flawed, and I think that it is a corporate viewpoint baseball is always has always been a business but baseball has become a more and more streamlined corporatized globalized business than a regional one and i mean it's reflective of what the labor force in this country looks like in general i mean 30 is too old for in baseball 50 40 is too old in every other job you know so <laughs> if you don't want to hire somebody because they're 30, because the, quote, risk is too great, then what does that do to your labor force? That means the only people who have 
an opportunity for a baseball career are 20 year olds. Those are the only people you're going to invest in. And then if you look at someone like Chris Bryant, Manny Machado, any of these guys, they give them very low contracts for the, for those periods of their lives. Uh, they keep them in the minors for the extra couple of days so that they have them under club control for two extra seasons. Um, I blame the players union for not stepping up and, and protecting their labor force. And I think that it's uh, very myopic and short-sighted to refuse to invest in players that have prove, proven themselves as um, key pieces to team success. He was a majority of the Arizona Diamondbacks' success in their postseason run last year. If it wasn't for the Dodgers, they would have gone a lot further. <laughs> so to me, it is very flawed. But when you look at the system in which it works, it is perfect. You know what I mean? So it makes sense to me that they wouldn't want to invest in somebody that's 30 years old. However, you look at somebody like Darvish, and he's got a seven-year contract, and he's up there. And look at how much has he played this year. So I think if you start looking at hitters more like pitchers, you might open up your workforce a little bit. So that's how I feel about those things up top. We will come back after this, and I'm going to do a deep dive into the issues of Osuna and Heimlich right after this. If you know me, you know that I am married to one Cameron Esposito. She's one of my favorite comedians ever and also working today. Uh, she has a new special called Rape Jokes, which is out now on her website, Cameron Esposito. Dot com. If you go right there, you can find the special. You can stream it for free right there on her website, but you can also donate to Rain and get the download of the special and keep it for yourself and also help a good organization raise some money. She has already raised over $50,000 in two weeks. That's a lot of money in two weeks. So if you've got five bucks to spare, go to CameronEsposito.com, donate, Get the special, spread the word, laugh, cry, feel things. Let's help each other out. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh my goodness. Again, that ad read just mwah, wonderful. That person is very good at reading ads. Um, so right now I'm going to get into something that I spoke about uh, with Stacey Mae Fowles, who was on my the, our show 
our show. It's not my show. It's our show. It's for everybody. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and you know, we spoke about this issue um, with uh, Roberto Osuna, and it was essentially the day that it was announced that he was uh, arrested on domestic violence charges. And so both of us were trying to be respectful of everyone in this situation, which is to not go super hard in one direction because, I mean, obviously we both were saying he was arrested for this, so I believe that it happened. Um, but, you know, we we were waiting until more information came in, um, again, to be respectful of all parties. And since he has been um, suspended without pay for 75 games on Friday for violating Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy, the league announced. Osuna, 23, has agreed not to appeal the suspension, which is retroactive to May 8th. Oh, good for him. And extends through August 4th. He will wind up missing 89 days, which would cost him about $2.54 million of his $5.3 million salary. That is almost half. Osuna was arrested by Toronto police on May 8th and charged with assaulting a woman. He was then placed on administrative leave, and the league has been investigating and the league has been investigating the charges since. Um, so speaking to this situation, I personally think that Major League Baseball needs a different rule for this in terms of the larger picture because it seems to me that like all of these things are behind closed doors, you know? And then, you know, it, it, it puts the person on the shelf, administrative leave, people get angry, people start getting you know, saying this, that, the other thing, public opinion, that it shouldn't be tried in public opinion. I mean, it's not public opinion. <laughs> it's he's being tried in a judicial court or, you know, he's arrested. Um, and then his workplace is making a decision, which is something that they have to do. Uh, I think that there needs to be some sort of like two strike rule for these kinds of things um, that if they're, they're arrested for something like this again, they're done. And a lot of people would argue with me, oh, you can't ruin a guy's career just because of this. Well, yeah, you can, actually. <laughs> we talk so much about deterrence, you know, and jail time. When you speak about the criminal justice system, deterrence in terms of incarceration does not work. However, if your job is on the line because of your behavior, it might change your behavior. And also it sends a message to everyone else that if you do this, your this life is over. And I don't think that's actually too strong because if you've ever experienced domestic violence or experienced what domestic violence does to a family, to a relationship, to a community, you would not think that this was too strict. <laughs> there has to be a moment where these things begin to end. And we talk so often about like, well, oh, but this is witch hunts and this and that and the other thing, and you could ruin somebody's... But we never talk about the lives that are ruined when violence actually happens. And this man is on television. He's on television. He's on the radio. Children look up to him, boys and girls. It's almost like they they want to keep these guys. It's almost like there's a a club of people that are like, become angered by these issues when when a guy steps over this line and they want to protect it. And that is why we have to keep speaking out against this. And it especially means something when men speak out against it. Because you have to break the cycle of the thing. You can't just keep pushing it away and pushing it under a rug and yelling at press conferences. He did his time. He did this. 
No, 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 no. If it if, if this is a real thing and somebody did their time and paid their price for it, then you should be able to speak to how bad it was and that you shouldn't have done it and that it shouldn't happen and that it's not okay. That's what you should be saying. Not ignore it. It's over. That's what abusers say to people. So stop perpetuating this perpetuating the cycle and make these guys speak out against it. Make them go to sensitivity training. Make them talk about it. Kids need to see that because otherwise they think it's okay. And it is their job because they are, I mean, this is a children's game. This is what people say often when they talk about baseball, when people get too into it or whatever, and they talk about the opportunity they get. It's a children's game. They say that all the time in baseball. If it's a children's game, then you should be aware of the fact that children are watching. So that's how I feel about Osuna. It's, I mean, he's paying a lot of money. It's still not enough because he crossed a serious line. So the MLB, speaking, speaking about, uh, more about this, MLB and the Players Union agreed on a domestic violence policy in 2015. It allows the league to discipline a player for domestic violence, for a domestic violence incident, regardless of whether there are charges or a trial. Pitcher Roldis Chapman was the first player disciplined under the policy when the league suspended him for the first 30 games of the 2016 season. 2016 season. He later went on to pitch in the World Series. Days later, shortstop Jose Riaz was suspended for 51 games, though overall this is the third longest d- domestic violence suspension in MLB history, behind Jose Torres, 100 games, and Hector Oliveira, 82 games. Cheryl rings the other side of a Roberto Osuna trade on Fangraphs.com is one of the better analyses I found as it really digs into the efficacy or lack thereof of the MLB's domestic violence policy. And we will link to this in the show notes. The key word in the Osuna report is agreed to as opposed to decided to. Osuna agreed not to appeal. Osuna, in other words, effectively settled his case with the MLB agreeing to a shorter suspension in exchange for not appealing. This sort of resolution isn't necessarily dissimilar to a plea bargain or civil settlement, both of which have their utility. It's an open question, however, whether baseball's accused domestic abusers ought to have a say in their own discipline, particularly when the discipline is being enforced by their employer. And Osuna's case isn't an isolated incident. Rather, it's standard policy. The same thing happened with Aroldis Chapman. Again, that's Cheryl Rings, uh, the other side of a Roberto Osuna trade. So there you go. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Why does he get the to decide what he's paying for? I disagree. Um, but I got to say, this is what happens when you only have men in a deciding committee. This is what happens. <laughs> he abused a woman. There are no women making any of these decisions. So that it, it affects things. And this is when I say more women in power, this is what I mean. The conversation cannot be one-sided. This is a one-sided conversation. So moving on to uh, a more um, difficult situation here uh, in terms of uh, baseball and and abuse. Um, so I would say that there is a trigger warning for uh, child molestation for this uh next player that's coming up. So if this is something that's difficult for you and it is difficult for me, um, fast forward about a minute, skip to the next section, which will be the rosin bag. Um, so despite reports that multiple teams were considering drafting him, Oregon state pitcher, Luke Heimlich went undrafted in this year's MLB draft. 
Heimlich is arguably the top pitching prospect in the draft. He is also a convicted sex offender at age 16, which was not that long ago. Heimlich pled guilty to a count of felony child molestation. His niece told investigators that he molested her during a period in which she was four to 16 years old. It marked the, I, I think that is six years old. It marked the second consecutive season. Heimlich, 22, went undrafted. Heimlich was slated to be a high round pick in the 2017 draft, but her, his arrest as a 16-year-old was revealed by the Oregonian just days before the draft. During the past couple days, there have been reports that the Royals are considering signing Heimlich as a free agent. Dayton Moore, the Royals' manager, spoke with the Kansas City Star, saying, we continue to seek information that allows us to be comfortable in pursuing Luke. Comfortable in pursuing Luke. You try to be open-minded. We're an organization that has con constantly given players second and third chances. So I say that with the information that I just spoke about with Rob Roberto Osuna. And there's a great piece on Deadline about this uh, person and redemption narratives. Um, and I forget who it was written by, but you can look that up. We'll, we'll link to it in the piece. I... I'm so uh, troubled is not even a strong enough word for the fact that anyone wants to hire this person. Um, similar to Roberto Osuna, these men are held up on pedestals. They're talked about. Um, we strip away parts of their lives to speak about them only as the athletes that they are. We talk about the things they do in their community. We talk about their their lives, their wives, their girlfriends, their families. And so how could anyone think that you could set aside abusing someone in your own family? And that is not to say abusing someone outside of your family is somehow inherently more understandable. It is just to say that he abused his own family member, a, a child, age four to six years old. He has admitted to doing it. And the fact that we are even discussing it makes me absolutely sick. And I am unsure sometimes if this is a system that I even want to support. A business. This is a business. Children go to these games. Again, I, same as Roberto Osuna. Children go to these games. And so these men, and it has mostly been men that have been writing it from this guy's corner. I have noticed men and women who are writing against this. So I appreciate that. Everyone that's, that's speaking out against this. How, how you could think that it would be okay then to bring a child to the ballpark to watch a man pitch a game who had molested his own niece. Think about it that way. The fact that we do not think about it that way is just beyond the pale to me. That you would say, oh, so he's done his... What? I mean, it, it's... I just... I literally don't even know what to say. Is it is it worth it? Is it that worth it? I don't think that it is. I really, really do not think it is that worth it. Whew. I really just don't know what to, what else to say about this. I would also, I mean, I just, I, there's nothing else to say. There's two kinds of people, I guess, when you're talking about this conversation. One person that thinks, hey, this guy deserves a second chance. And people who are like, you're out of your mind. And I'm shocked at the amount of people who think someone that sexually molests his own niece deserves a second chance at baseball. I just don't. 
And that's not even getting into the fact that like women can't even play baseball. <laughs> women aren't allowed. I mean, it's insane. It's actually insane. And I apologize for using insane, but I, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. Um, I will end this by saying that um, I did notice on Twitter and I haven't been on Twitter as much as usual, which is good for my brain and my heart, I think. But um, Buster Olney and some other uh, baseball journalists, you know, sort of the old guard, the establishment uh, baseball journalists were taken to task by talking about these issues, Osuna and Heimlich, without mentioning their crimes when they're talking, you know, like, ooh, who's trading for this guy? Has it ruined his trading prospects? Without saying what he did. And then people, you know... Specifically, some women journalists took him to task for saying for omitting his crime when speaking about, oh, is this going to hurt his chances? And then Buster only went on the defensive, of course, and then the offensive, of course, because he wants to. Oh, I've you don't know me, and you don't know my thought. It's like, no, we do. You're presenting a thought, and you're not including all of the information, and that's all anyone is saying. And I think that if you are convicted of an issue like this by the MLB, it should be brought up literally every time that you play baseball, literally every time that somebody talks about your prospects, it should not go away. You did it. You agreed to this punishment. So it should be hung around your neck for the rest of your career. And it is your job to prove that you'll never do it again. And that is not to say that I think uh, uh, Heimlich should get the second chance to prove any of this. I don't think he should not have a job in baseball. He just should not have a job in baseball. All right, we'll be back after this with some rosin bag questions. You know, for a long time, I wasn't sleeping well. And for a long time, I mean my entire life, I just couldn't sleep. But you know what? Getting a new mattress really helped that out a lot. Because there's nobody on the planet like you, so why would you buy a mattress that's built for everybody else? That's a great question. I didn't do that. Working with the world's leading sleep experts, Helix Sleep developed a mattress that's customized to your specific height, weight, and sleep preferences so you can have the best sleep of your life at an unbeatable price. Here's how it works. Go to helixsleep.com, fill out their two-minute sleep quiz. Sounds fun. And they'll design your custom mattress. They can even customize each side for you and a partner. In 2018, Helix Sleep has taken customized sleep to the next level with the Helix Pillow. The all-new pillows are fully adjustable so you can achieve perfect comfort regardless of sleep position or body type. Helix Sleep has thousands of five-star reviews, plus you get 100 nights to try them out. That's a lot of nights. You should just give it a shot. Go to helixsleep.com dot com slash three swings right now and you'll get up to $125 towards your mattress order. That's so much money. You really can't pass this up. That's helixsleep.com slash three swings for up to $125 off your mattress order. Helixsleep.com slash three swings. Do it for yourself. Do it for your sleep. All right, 3Bs, we are back with some wonderful rosin bag questions. Keep them coming to the at 3 Swings pod Twitter handle. And like I said, I'm opening it up to all kinds of questions, not just baseball, because I think that's what we need right now. So, first question, Trey Wittish. Which baseball teams have the best radio broadcasts? Well, unfortunately, I wasn't able to research all of them. I'm a big fan of John Miller. I don't think he does the radio, though, for San Francisco, so just shouting that out there. I am a transplant, so I don't understand the depths of the rivalry between San Francisco and Los Angeles. I will say, not a fan of the 
rivalry, given that there's been a lot of violence surrounding it. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Jim Hamilton out there in Cleveland. He's very animated and fun. Uh, he also is somebody who... I love a good announcer that will give the other team credit. I like that. Um, so send me your favorite baseball po- uh, broadcast. Tell me who I should listen to. Thanks for asking that question, Trey Whittish. And I would say just again, if you're getting into baseball, don't just watch it on television. R- listen to the radio broadcast. Because I really do think that like the history of baseball is listening to it on the radio because there wasn't always TV because the game is so old. It's a post-war game. And what war? The Civil War. Justine Lee says, I love baseball jerseys. It's impossible to find jerseys that fit my body as a lady slightly too small for a men's small. And women's, quote, jerseys have a weird cut on the chest. I know all about it. And youth jerseys have a small selection. Help. Boy, oh boy, Justine, I wish I could fix this for you. I have run into the same problem. The men's small is a little too big, but I just go for it. And then the I, I, I also just buy youth jerseys. The thing that stinks about the youth jerseys is they don't have all the pieces. Perhaps we should start some sort of a, I don't know, quest to ask them to make different sizes. If only they made the women's without making it a completely different cut. That might be what fixes it. But unfortunately, I don't have a good answer. I guess you just got to go with what you can find, which is unfortunately what <laughs> we've had to do for a long, long time. And looks like we'll probably be doing for the near future. Uh, A. Harris Creative, Al Harris Creative, excuse me. You mentioned Sophie Curry's last app. Do you think Kit's style of play in a league of their own was based on the Flint Flash? Pitcher, hitter, fast, aggressive. I live in Flint myself. Uh, It actually, that is a fact. Kit was based on Sophie Curry's, who is second only to Ricky Henderson in stolen bases all time. She also has a single season sto- stolen base record that has that still stands in professional baseball. She stole 201 bases. Now that's bonkers in and of itself, but the next part of the stat is makes it seven times bonkers. She stole 201 out of 203 attempts. That means she was only picked off twice out of 203 attempts. That, my friends, is a lot of stolen bases. And I definitely think that Kit was based off of Sophie Curry's, although I doubt that Sophie Curry's had the same emotional journey that Kit had. (laughs) Because Kit was uh, definitely written for melodrama, and I find Kit to be incredibly relatable myself, even though I don't have a big sister that's always been better than me. I just have a big chip on my shoulder that's always been better than me. But I recently rewatched the movie and read a great piece on, I think, Jezebel or something about how Dottie did not drop the ball on purpose. And I used to think she dropped the ball on purpose, but she definitely did not drop the ball on purpose. I think I said on this podcast that I thought she did. I changed my mind. Guess what? That's something you can do. You can change your mind on something. Just because you had one opinion one day doesn't mean you can't have a different opinion the next day. Are you a flip-flopper? No. You have evolved on an issue. Kit one she wanted it more that is what that scene means that kit wanted it more because then the scene after that when dotty is buying the pennant and kit is signing autographs and she says you want to be a ball player someday and a little girl goes yes 
she said Dottie says something about like you think I'm gonna miss putting on all my gear in the hundred degree heat and playing a double and Kit goes yeah <laughs> and that is why Dottie dropped the ball because she loves the game she really does but internally she just couldn't jive all of those feelings she's conflicted Kit is not conflicted Kit wants to play ball Dottie wants to have kids there you go Next question, or next, uh, yes, next question is from Ben Harrison. Now that Robert Osuna's received a 75-game suspension, what should the Blue Jays do when August 4th rolls around and he's eligible to return? Should the Blue Jays be saying more than no comment right now? I mean, they should be saying more than no comment right now, but they're not going to. I mean, I don't know. I I think, who knows? I mean, I'm unsure. I, I just feel like, I wish... I wish that people didn't want to work with people who abuse other people, but that's just not the case. And that's how I feel about that. Uh, Next question is from Nick Space Jam Warrior. Can you talk about baseball traditionalists calling on the, quote, sanctity of the game when non-white players show even a modicum of emotion? This is something I've talked about very much and happy to talk about it again. It bothers me to no end when people talk about the sanctity of the game it is a dog whistle. If you don't know what a dog whistle is, uh, there's a reason it's called a dog whistle because we can't hear dog whistles. And so that means it's something that you're calling out to only the people that can hear it. And I encourage everybody that listens to this podcast to become well-versed in dog whistles because this administration, or what I like to call a regime, essentially speaks in dog whistles at all moments. When uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third who is essentially a human dog whistle, also a human Confederate monument. Um, And I don't just mean that as a joke. Like, he is. He's named after... He has that name for a reason. And it's not just because, oh, I'm just a good old Southern boy. It's because he's a Confederate. Um, When he quoted Romans about following the law, that was a dog whistle. And then we all started quoting the Bible back at them. All that does is fall into their plan about getting us to talk about what they want us to talk about. He was quoting a Bible verse that's been used for by the KKK to, to, to promote slavery, like all of these things. And understanding that is more important than finding the Bible verse that disputes it. Saying, I know what you're doing is more important than saying, but Jesus said this. That doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, the sanctity of the game is a similar thing. What they're really saying is play like the white guys. We like the white guys whether they know it or not. And a lot of them know it. They're not dumb. Or they're not... I don't believe them when they say they don't. That's not what they mean. That's what they mean. That's what they mean. (laughs) When you say sanctity of the game, they want them to play like the white players. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear Roberto Clemente speaking Spanish. They want English. They don't want translators. They want them to be quiet, keep their head down, whatever. I hear... uh, I hear Rick Manning defending Trevor Bauer ad nauseum. That dude has a temper, and he starts a bunch of bullshit. And that's okay, but Puig licks a bat, and it's disgusting. Whatever, man. I I prefer the bat licking <laughs> to the temper any day. So that's how I feel about those friends. Uh, Leslie Ryder says, I was sad to read the Yankees were two, one of two holdouts on Pride Night events. Their official response was that they don't, quote, do Pride Nights of any kind. Most teams have jumped on this and seen great results. Why hold out and miss a chance to have these celebrations with their fans? 
Uh, the other pride holdout is the Angels. Now, what's interesting about both of those teams is that they're sort of this these like conservative strongholds within what some people would believe to be like, you know, just like a liberal oasis of of New York City and Los Angeles. Now, we all everybody in Southern California and most baseball fans know that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim are not in Los Angeles. They are in, in fact, Anaheim, which is in Orange County, which is a highly conservative area. Um, there's a lot of military there, which leads to the conservatism. And it's also just very much a suburb, which tends to be conservative because it tends to be white. I mean, the unfortunate thing about current day pride is that it is rooted very much in success and money-making. And I would encourage all of us to do some research into pride and what it has meant and what it has begun to mean. I do wish that more teams did pride events simply because it's an acknowledgement of their fan base who has had to remain, for the most part, silent. And then when they come to the ballpark, they feel like their team wants them there. And a lot of people are like, no special this, no special rights, whatever. And that's easy to say when you haven't felt like you weren't welcome. You know, I when I was in college, which was, you know, 40 years ago, <laughs> um, I started college in the fall of September or the fall of 2001. Um, and so my second like my second week of college was 9-11. That was my experience of college and adulthood. Um, it was very stark and something that was going on early on in, in my college experience in Akron, Ohio, was there was a movement in the, uh, uh, with the professors and adjunct teachers that they were hanging these little uh, pink flyers, like quarter sheets of, of pink Kinko's copy paper um, with pink triangles that said, you are welcome or something like that. Um, and many teachers were hanging them up and I was so you know, like young and unexperienced. And also it was 2001 in Akron, Ohio, um, that like, I just assumed anyone that put that up meant they were gay or whatever. And I was still trying to understand my own self. And, um, but you know, looking back now, I'm like, holy shit, thank you so much for doing this because it made me feel like I could be there and I could talk to people and I wouldn't get in trouble or I wouldn't get kicked out of school. But I did have a, t a professor who taught Western civiliz civilization and we, you know, we talked about civil rights movement in this class. We talked about a lot of things. And um, at one point, somebody brought those up, or maybe he even brought them up himself. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Um, and he was very against those pieces of paper because he thought it was special rights. And now this this man is entitled to his opinion. Um, I disagree completely. He was probably 50, somewhere around there. Um, and he was also a black man. And I mean, he didn't say he was straight or gay, but I, I don't think he was gay. <laughs> it would have, you know, enhanced the argument, I guess, if he was gay and he was saying no to this. Um, and again, I, I can only assume um, that part of his identity. But I do remember learning and, and I bring up his race because we're talking about um, identity and acceptance of that. And so I remember that experience and it stuck out in my mind. I, I, I wrestled with it a lot. I was very young and I was trying to understand it. And I think that his intention was pure to say, I don't believe in special rights and I don't believe in treating somebody better than someone else. 
And I think that's a mistake to say putting that sign up in, in an office door is treating someone better. It's actually raising someone up to the, other, to the level of everyone else and saying that you are all welcome here. Um, because I, I think that it's hard when you are not an LGBTQ person, LGBTQIA person, to say that, like, this is special rights and not realize that the, our entire culture is set up for, like, heteronormative, um, binaried gender. I mean, from the moment that we are born onto this earth, <laughs> the moment we take our first gasp of air, if the, the quote, gender of the child hasn't been revealed by ultrasound, um, it is stamped onto your existence the moment you come out and are handed to uh, the person that birthed you. And so it's hard to, when you don't think about that, because you haven't needed to, because you felt comfortable in that decision that was made for you when you were first brought into this existence, then it's hard for you to have empathy for someone who hasn't, who has spent their whole life feeling outside of something. And the reason that I bring up his race is because even with that experience of his life, which I can't fully understand, I can only read and learn and try to understand and have as much empathy and understanding that I can without having the experience and just belief because I do that that experience is different than mine based on the color of my skin that just because you have that experience doesn't mean you can necessarily understand every experience of every oppressed person. And that is not to say that my experience as a queer person is the same or on the same level as his experience as a black man who's 50 in 2001 in America, because they're not. And what I would hope is that we could see that as people and say, I don't know what your experience is like, but I believe you and I will do what I can to help you. And I will try to understand that the things you need perhaps do not line up with my belief system, but I won't fight them because to me, that's not what needs to be fought. What needs to be fought is the people and the rules and the laws that hurt us both. So that's my argument for pride. Um, I think that we need to be protesting. I think that we need to, as a community, come together and protest these things. And if the Yankees don't want us and the Angels don't want us, then, as my grandmother liked to say, piss on them. <laughs> if, those, if those are your teams and they don't want you there, guess what? They don't want you there. You might need to find a new team. That's what I've realized about my team. My team doesn't have a pride night. I don't think so. I mean, I haven't seen anything about it. Please tweet at me if I'm wrong. Um, my team is simply my team of my childhood and, and whatever. Um, I've found a new team. And that team is me. So I, I would ask for everybody um, that listens to this show, if you can't get out and protest on the 30th, which if, if you got to work, I understand. If you don't got to work, please get out there. Please get out there. I know it's hard when you have um, social anxiety, when these things are difficult, uh, but I believe in you. I believe that you can do it. I really do. Um, I tweeted a joke-ish last night uh, about the fact that my therapist responded and said, or replied back to me and said, I can't book that date any longer because I am now on a short list to go help separated children in texas and i said i'm cured <laughs> and it's 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 meant to be you know humorous and to highlight 
the work that people are doing. But in all reality, um, I, I you know, you're never cured. But uh, it gave me some perspective. And that's not to say that the things that I have going on that I've been working on in my life are not important. They are. But what I realized, I realized what I have and the things that are care- taking me down. Sometimes I let them and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to carry these things around. I'm not going to carry around the people that have hurt me. And I'm going to instead carry around the people that I've hurt and try to make the world a little bit better because I have hurt people in my life. We've all done it. Um, I was working through a lot of things and I wasn't the greatest person. I had a drinking problem and it made relationships hard and I had good people in my life and I didn't, I took them for granted. And so essentially what I'm saying is I'm dropping the people that I can't carry anymore and I'm going to try to pick up the people that I can. And I hope that everybody can. And if you can donate to Racy's Texas, please do. Um, Please also get out there and vote. I think that we, there's, some Democrats that are calling for obstruction and that this is a an election year and uh, we should wait for any SCOTUS appointment, please uh, contact your senators, Democrats and Republicans. Please ask for them to obstruct this. There's no time for politics, like good politics anymore. Um, if, if Trump gets a second SCOTUS pick, our lives are damaged forever. I mean, they already are. Um, it's a stolen seat. It would be a second stolen seat. He's an illegitimate president. Uh, setting up lifetime appointments and we have to stop it now and then we have to vote them all out so we can remove all of them. I do actually think that Mueller's investigation is going to show a lot to people that this was illegitimate and um, a a major like espionage issue and it's like in plain daylight which is what's bonkers to me but please go out and vote. The other side votes are down the ticket no matter what. And I am not saying we don't need to discriminate who we're voting for. But what I am saying is if we stand for reproductive rights and we stand for LGBTQ rights and we stand against all of these things, uh, workers' rights, union rights, healthcare for all, we have to stop this now. And the only way we can stop this is by voting Democrat. And I know that that's problematic, but at the same time, it is more problematic to allow Republicans to continue control of the country. So please get out and vote, volunteer for campaigns, um, get involved, understand the literature, find people that you can commune with. And I think the LGBTQ community needs to come together and fight these issues as a community because they affect us all. Immigration, workers' rights, reproductive rights. Um, trans rights, everything. So please donate to organizations. Stay educated every day. Stay angry, but also recharge yourself. Get out there. Fight the good fight. We can do this. I believe in us. Um, if you liked the show, if you like the show, uh, please rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to this daggone thing. Um, keep listening. I love you. Thank you for being here. I'm going to keep talking about all these things. Keep telling your friends. If you tell just one friend about this podcast, we can grow the listenership and we can make some change in the world. Follow us at at three swings pod on uh, Instagram and on Twitter and on Twitter. Follow me at Rhea butcher on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm not really on Facebook anymore. I'm probably going to get rid of it soon. Uh, Unless tell me if you need me to stay on it. 
but I, I'm not really, I don't really use it anymore. Um, and then, of course, if you liked it, you liked it. I'll see you next week. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.